Hello and welcome back to another episode of Bite Size Cinema. I'm your host RJ McCready and for this episode I'm going to be taking you guys back to the year in 1986 to look at James Cameron's iconic cult action sci-fi movie Aliens. So let's fire up the power loader, let's have a look at a trailer and I'll see you guys soon. Just tell me one thing Burke, you're going out there to destroy them, right? Not to study, not to bring back, but to wipe them out. That's the plan. All right, people, on the ready line. I am me. Yeah. I am me. Yeah. Yeah. I am me. Yeah. 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 Welcome back guys, so the synopsis for this film is Ellen Ripley is rescued by a deep salvage team after being in hypersleep for 57 years. The moon that the Nostromo visited has been colonised, but contact is lost. This time colonial marines have impressive firepower, but will that be enough? It's got 137 minute runtime, and it's classed as a action adventure sci-fi and it's an R-rated movie. It was written and directed by James Cameron, who is an iconic film director in Hollywood, as we all know. And he previously made a film called Piranha 2. Uh, had massive success with uh, Terminator, which pretty much put him onto the block. And then he went on to go and do uh, The Abyss and Titanic, which was a massive hit. So he's got a really good catalogue of movies. Um, more recently, he's made Avatar, which I think is still uh, in production for the sequels. But going back for looking at James Cameron's building block, so he was about in the late 70s as a miniature model maker at the Roger Corman Studios. And he was employed as a art director for films such as Battle Beyond the Stars, which is another cult sci-fi movie. And he did the special effects work for uh, John Carpenter's Escape from New York. There you go. I've just realised I've mentioned John Carpenter in pretty much every episode I've done, guys. So there you go. It's a JC shout out there. And um, then he had a big break for uh, doing the sequel to Piranha 2. So he was originally the uh, special effects director for that movie. 
but the actual director for Piranha 2 left the set. He just got up and he left some sort of argument or something like that. And um, studio said, look, James, you know, he said, went to James Cameron and said, how about you um, have a go at directing? And he got put into the director's chair and from there onwards he, he took the director's role. Um, I think Piranha 2 did okay, um, kind of put him onto the ladder of directing. He then went on to go and write Terminator and he had a massive hit with that. So the rest is history for that, uh, which is what I will go on to next. In fact, guys, let me t- let's go into that now. Let me talk about how Aliens got into production and um, got made. So, obviously, Alien was a massive hit at the cinemas uh, back in 1979 with uh, Sigourney Weaver and John Hurt, and the crew of Nostromo became cinema history. Um, but it wasn't quite a straightforward sequel as you would think because after the success of Alien, the studio actually had a lawsuit with uh, Profit Issues and they wanted to make a sequel but because they had this lawsuit they couldn't actually make this film. And Walter Hill, who was attached to the original Alien film, was interested in making the sequel and he had this idea of um, the Southern Comfort film that he had made around about that time with uh, the Magnificent Seven. He said, how about we use this in space? Um, but with this lawsuit kicking around, I wasn't able to make this film. So not until 1983, the lawsuit got cleared up. And by this time, James Cameron was kind of in the spotlight and they re- they knew that he, he was working on a film called Terminator, being a sci-fi film. And they took a look at his script and they said, can we have a look at it? And they said, this is, this is good, this is kind of what we want for the, the sequel, this type of um, sci-fi movie. So in between Cameron making Terminator, he quickly penned a script together for Aliens. And he did a 45-page script, he gave it back to the studio and said, how about this for an idea? The studio looked at it and went, oh, no, we're not too sure about it, we're not really sold with that. So um, Cameron went back to do the Terminator and as a little bit of fate, whilst he was filming Terminator, Arnold Schwarzenegger had a scheduled conflict with another studio to make Conan the Destroyer. So he had to be taken away for nine months to go and make Conan. And uh, Cameron was kind of left back on the shelf with Terminator and all sorts of issues I could imagine. So in that time he said, let's let's do a a full-on proper script for Aliens. And he did. And he did a full script, screenplay, the whole lot. And he went back to the studios and he went, how about we set it in space like with the Vietnam War and the Marines and all that sort of stuff. And then the studio went, yep, yeah, we're sold. So after the international success of Terminator, which did really well at the box office, um, 20th Century Fox greenlit Aliens with a schedule to release the movie in 1986. And the rest is history and it went on to go and make some big bucks. And it went on to go and become one of the most iconic films in sci-fi movie history. But let's talk about the production of this film. So it doesn't end there, guys. I only just found this out by doing some prep this morning. Now, I heard about some issues of this film being made, but I didn't realise how many issues they had. And it's almost like the price you have to pay as a film director to forever have this iconic film in movie history much like Jaws a bit like Spielberg when he made Jaws he had all sorts of problems trying to make that film and now it's become one of the most 
iconic, successful movies in history, and it's the same with Aliens. When I talk, I'm going on a bit of a segue here, but when I talk about Aliens, I don't know anybody that doesn't really like this film, and uh, a lot of us fans just highly recommend it, and it's right up there on the pedal store as one of the greats. Um, but when you look at the actual making of this film, it actually had a few <laughs> problems. Um, so the first issue of making this film was James Cameron didn't actually get on well with the crew at Pinewood Studios and that is because the crew were used to working with Ridley Scott on the film Alien. Studios decided to bring back the same crew that worked on that film. Everybody was used to working with Ridley Scott, I think they all gelled with him. And then when this uh, young American film director walked through the door, none of them gelled with him and none of them were really sold with him. They didn't really think he'd be up to the job, which is probably a little bit unfair, but... Uh, this is just what I'm reading off the internet and at the end of the production when it all wrapped up old James Cameron actually came out and said one final speech and he said thank you everybody the only reason why I got through this is because I knew at the end of it I'll be getting in my car driving out of this studio and never coming back <laughs> so there you go guys in a nutshell that just about rounds it up and the other thing I mentioned, there's loads of other things, I'm just I'm just rounding this up guys, is the, what I was quite surprised with was actually the James Horner film score. Now I think it's an incredible score, and it is, and it goes so well with the film. And again, when I speak to people who love this movie, they do say, oh man, that soundtrack, oh, it's brilliant, it just goes so well. But I never realised how many complications they had trying to put that together. Not so much trying to put it together, it was just that James Horner turned up, he was hired as the composer, spoke to James Cameron and he said, yeah, I'm here. And he said, yeah, just just put something together. And he's like, what? He said, can I just have a look at the film, you know, just to sort of get a bit, no, 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 just, you know, put something together. He literally put this score together overnight and he actually said, I had to cannibalise scores from my other films being the Rafikon and the Search for Spock just to literally get this in very quickly because I was out of time. <laughs> So there you go, this film was, it had issues, the film score was very quickly put together and James Horner actually walked out and said I'd never really want to work with that bloke again. But over time, time was a good healer, uh, they did make up and they eventually worked together on the Titanic and I think things were a little bit different there, so um, there you go, I thought it was just a funny story, so this is this is proper hardcore filmmaking back in the day, uh, which probably what, what makes this film great in a way. And then there was a couple of issues on set with one of the actors, uh, it's one of the actors I actually quite like, uh, James Remar, who played Ajax from The Warriors. Now he was originally Corporal Hicks and he was all set up, he did the boot camp for the um, build up of this role with all the other actors and he was actually being filmed, he does all the scenes where uh, the colonial marines are going into the LV-421 complex and all that sort of stuff. But he actually got kicked off set for creative differences, they said. <laughs> creative differences being something to do with narcotics, that's all I'm just going to say, and he got fired. So, And uh, the other thing is that this is quite important. Sigourney Weaver didn't want to come back and do this film. Um, and James Cameron actually based this film on her, Sigourney Weaver, he made it all about her. And uh, they just waved a £1 million paycheck in front of her and that made her come back. So I'm sure it's because she wanted to do the film in the end, but maybe nothing to do with the £1 million 
dollar paycheck or anything like that so you make your own mind up about that so but this is just stuff that i'm reading off the internet guys so these aren't my own opinions here or anything like that <laughs> so there you go guys aliens actually had a little bit of a hill to climb to get there but when it got there it's yeah it just went boom it's a solid movie but i'll get back to that later on so let's have a look whilst we're on all this some rj mccready trivia you know me man so let's have a look here. I've got a whole ton of trivia here. Um, so the film's not shot in sequence and the Marines all sat at the table. That scene there was actually shot at the end um, because they thought if they do that at the end then all the camaraderie of the guys working together would just sort of create that scene a bit better. So it's quite quite good directing by, the, um, by Mr Cameron. Uh, this is quite funny, Lance Henriksen said he was going to quit if this movie wasn't a success because he said, I've had enough of making a load of rubbish films. <laughs> but it turned out to be successful, so uh, Mr Henriksen is still acting and still making films. Uh, the 15 minute countdown at the end is actually in sequence, so that is actually 15 minutes runtime on the actual um, you know, film when you watch it. And the 10 second countdown when A-Pone says to the troops we're coming out the character in 10, that actually counts down to 10 as well. So, um, Funny enough, Bill Paxton improvised all his lines. Game over, man. Uh, the, it was filmed at uh, Acton Gasworks in West London. And Full Metal Jacket was being filmed at the same time. And the both films have uh, Marine Sergeants and both of the marine sergeants say the same lines in both movies um, a-holes and elbows just for a little bit of um, a kind of crossover there I guess you could say the alien nest was used for Batman in 1989 for the access chemicals they still left the set there afterwards obviously uh, there's a special edition of this film which has an extra 17 minutes that badass APC truck is actually a tow truck from British Airways, which was a 35 ton truck which they had to strip down, uh, which was pretty clever. And the film was uh, filmed with a bluish light lens to give it that alien feel throughout the movie. And this is another thing that Cameron had issues with on set. He was saying, I want this film to be dark and I only want the light to be seen from the Marines' torches and stuff like that, just to sort of create that mood and atmosphere. And I think he's right with that. Um, I think that I love when a film is done like this with that real atmosphere. I think he, he his vision was right with that, and I think that's kind of what makes this film great. So I'm glad he stuck with his guns here with the uh, special effects crew. And it's quite funny, the... Um after the film was released, so you've got the power loaders in this film, which are really good, you know, really badass. And there's actually a couple of businesses who um, contacted the film studio saying, where can we get a couple of those power loaders from? Because they're bloody awesome, you know what I mean? And the studio said, no, they're just, you know, they're special effects, you know, they're not actually real. So that's quite funny. Uh, the cast members made their own graffiti for their body armour. Uh, Vasquez, she, she was very fit, you know, the actor in this movie, she did her own uh, chin-ups. The F word is used 25 times and 18 of those are by Hudson. The film is loosely based on Robert A. Hyland's novel Starship Troopers and that's the reason why you get the reference of Bug Hunt and Bug Stompers because the film's obviously about Marines fighting uh, bugs in space which is an, a film which was directed by Paul Verhoeven which I mentioned in Robocop so 
Um, there's a loose space there on, on this film as well. Uh, Drake and Vasquez, uh, the guns that they got there are based on a German MG42. And the pulse rifles are based on the Thompson MG with a Remington shotgun. So it's all kind of like been stripped down and amalgamated. Quite clever and they are badass. And LV4... God, hang on, I should know this. LV426, the planet. Apology guys, I should know this. But anyway, that was originally going to be called Alcarion, uh, which is a Greek mythology um, based on purgatory. So Ridley Scott kind of used that later on with uh, Prometheus, which kind, of, which kind of goes down that route. But like I say, guys, loads of trivia here. I'm going to read it out. It's quite cool stuff, really. Um, this is quite important because you notice in this film that the aliens look a little bit different to the one in uh, the original alien film. That's because um, James Cameron modified them a little bit, mod designed it all himself with the inspiration from HR Giga. So I would imagine there would have been a few phone calls there and, you know, can we do this and can we do that? But then James Cameron said, I don't want that bloke on the set because I probably ain't going to get on with him <laughs> with everything else that's going on, I imagine. So there you go. Um, the studio got criticised, they criticised the special effects team because they said you guys are using too many sets here and the special effects team said no we're not because what's happened here is the studio looked at the movie, looked at some of the cuts of the film and said wow look at all these amazing sets, they said they're not sets, they're miniatures, all these are miniatures, these are all models and stuff like that so there's a little bit of a misunderstanding there. And the alien suits were flexible, so you could get in and, in and out of them quite quickly compared to the original film, and they used uh, dancers and gymnasts. So. so there you go, guys. I'll leave it at that. That's, uh, that's basically the building block of aliens. So let's have a look at the uh, cast. So you've got um, Sigourney Weaver, who plays Ripley. Carrie Henn, who plays Newt. Michael Bean, who plays Hicks. Paul Reiser as Burke. Uh, Lance Henriksen as Bishop, Bill Paxton as, as Hudson, and uh, Jeanette Goldstein as the badass Vasquez, and Al Matthews as Sergeant A. Pone. And um, he was actually a—he was a real sergeant. Um, he was served in the Vietnam War, so I imagine he could bring a little bit more to the to the film of all his experiences and stuff like that, which is pretty cool. So let's do a bite-sized review on Alien. So the film starts off with that incredible opening sequence with the um, aliens coming onto the screen. And then you've got a spaceship floating through space which is carrying Ellen Ripley and she's been floating in space for 57 years after escaping the terror of the Nostromo and the alien threat. And then she gets rescued by the Wayland yutani Corporation and they are sceptical of her claims and they don't believe what she is saying about alien eggs, a xenomorph, and they're pretty upset with her blowing up this company's ship. So they decide to downgrade her from being a flight captain to a power loader. She works in the power loader division, which um, comes in handy later, funny enough. And then just to rub salt into the wounds, the Wayland Utani tell her that LV426 is now the site of a terraforming colony called Hadley's Hope. And a little time after this briefing, the company lose contact with uh, Hadley's Hope, which then results in Ripley getting a visit from the Utani representative, the very sleazy, is that the word I can use for this guy? He's creepy, he's going to do you over, he's going to, he's going to, oh you know what I'm saying guys, it's Carter Burke anyway, so he turns up and he says to Ripley, look, 
we've lost contact, we may need your help because we are now starting to perhaps maybe believe your story. Ripley says no, but then after a few nights of some nightmares and she's suffering with, uh, I guess you could say it's PTSD with this situation, she then decides to think, well, the only way we're going to deal with this is to go back and deal with this threat. So she says, yep, I'm in. But with some conditions is that we go back and we wipe these out. And of course, Carl Burke's gone, oh yeah, sure, absolutely, yeah, 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 sure. So from that very slow burn, that little building block of this film, you've then got a scene which I would describe as the same as when I watched Star Wars and New Hope, when you see the Millennium Falcon for the first time with Chewie and Han Solo. You've got the USS Sulco and it is badass, it is gritty, it's got the Colonial Marines, they are badass, and you just think, here we go, this film has just started. And from here onwards, it is a roller coaster of fun. And taking nothing away from Alien because it is a ghost story. It's great. It's it's very gritty. It's very dark. And so is this one. But from here onwards, this is where I think, oh yeah, this Aliens has become Aliens. This has taken a step up gear. You've got some the iconic Marines. You've got Hudson. You've got Hicks. You've got Sergeant A. Palmer with his cigar. You've got Bishop doing that scene with the knife scene with Hudson. You've got loads of marine bands. Have you ever been mistaken for a man? No, have you? And it's just, it's brilliant. And every time I watch it, it's when you look at the backdrop of the loading bays, I'm like, you see something different. You might see another missile for the drop ship or uh, another crate of pulse rifles and ammunition and all that sort of stuff. So it's just gritty. It's just great. And it doesn't hang about. Once they've had the briefing from Ripley, that's it. Apone rolls up the trips. All right, Marines, let's get out there. Let's move on and... They get on the ship and they drop from the Sulco and it's a great scene. As I said, like a roller coaster, it is like a roller coaster. They drop down and you've got some brilliant special effects and the sounds and all that sort of stuff. It's just great. You're just engrossed in this movie. And um, they drop onto the planet and they fly over the um, LV-426 compound. And immediately the Marines drop out from the ship and it's raining and it's dark. And the atmosphere is just incredible and then they try and open up the um, complex. And as soon as they get inside they find it deserted, it's all dark, there's only a minimal amount of lighting. There's barricades, there's signs of uh, battle, signs of a struggle. They find some of the floors have been disintegrated with some sort of acid. And then they come across the uh, containment tacks with the face huggers. And then this is ramping up Ripley's story. And then they find a young girl called Newt, who's the only sole survivor of whatever the hell's happened here. And then they head to a interlock that's sort of descending corridors, which is covered by alien secretions. This is where they come up with one of the survivors. One of the first traumatic scenes where there's a woman who, whose head pops up and she's still alive. And that's a bit of a jump scare. And she says, kill me, kill me. And it's a horrible scene where this like, face hugger comes out, or not face hugger, the alien comes out of her chest, chest burst. And then you can just see in the Marines that their attitude is starting to change. They've gone from this sort of cocky Marines to this situation has just got real. And the more they descend into this complex, the more the complex becomes like a cocooned alien nest. And... You've got the inexperienced Gorman now is the um, platoon lieutenant and you very quickly realise that he doesn't really know what he's doing and Ripley's flags up that the Marines are actually in the calling system of the complex and if they destroy that, 
then the whole place is going to go up into like a sort of thermal nuclear bomb. And this is one of the uh, dumbest decisions in Hollywood and I throw stuff at the screen every time I watch it when they say you've got to take all the ammunition out from your guns. And uh, because if you start shooting stuff it's going to blow up and I'm just thinking now pull your marines back and think of some other tactical decision but I, let's forget about that let's just watch the <laughs> let's carry on watching the film so take the ammunition out all they can use is the flamethrowers and this way you get a great scene where you go what are you got to use man we're just going to use harsh language and then this is this is again this is the the sounds and the effects of this you got that that sort of sounds you know of the Hudson's radar scanner there and then he's going you know they've got moving man they're you know they're all round us but I can't see him and um, then you've got the scene where the aliens come down and they pick up one of the marines and she's, she's got like a flame and she starts like flaming all the other marines and it just doesn't go wrong for these guys it goes really wrong so um, the flamethrower is taken on the ammunition bag and that blows up, takes out some of the marines. Lucky enough, Hicks had his shotgun for close encounters, which he uses. And then Vasquez, she's, she's the only one who fought outside the box with Drake. They kept their ammunition. And then this is where she goes, let's rock. And then you got the, uh, the pulse rifle sound. I'll play a little clip of that now. And it just sounds great, man. It's just brilliant. And then you've got the fantastic film score, which I mentioned earlier, from James Horner. It just goes really well. It just really pumps up this scene where they're saying, you get Hicks coming out, Marines, we are leaving. And Hicks has now taken charge because uh, A-Pone gets taken out. And their only choice now is to survive, to get out. There's no way they're going to take this fight on. So they need to get out, get as many of their team out. And then this is where Ripley says to Gorman, well, what are you going to do about this? And Gorman's going, uh, oh, A-Pone, you know. And then she goes, right, forget this. And she just takes it to, takes charge herself. She gets into the um, carrier and then she drives into the plant. And it's great. And she's driving around. And again, you've got that film score from James Horner. And she's barging into everything. She just cracks through the wall, saves the Marines. Vasquez is taking out as many um, aliens as she can with her uh, assault rifle, but in doing this, poor old Drake gets taken out. He, for her, she's trying to save him, but in order to save him, she blows up the alien and all the acid goes over him and he dies. And, it's, and that's the other thing with this film. You've got so much love for these Marines. You just They're so cool, you don't really want them to die. And you're going, damn, every time I watch it, I think, oh, no, I don't want Drake to die. And then they get into the carrier and you've got Hudson, Hicks and Vasquez, they're like the remaining Marines. As they close the door, the alien tries to open it up. And then you get um, Hicks, he just comes out of that shotgun and he just sort of shoots it. And it's, acid goes everywhere. Hudson gets infected by the acid. And by the time Ripley drives out of the complex, you very famously get Hudson come out going, Game over, man, game over. And he's gone from this sort of cocksure marine to, That's it, it's over, what the hell are we going to do? So at this point, Ripley takes command and Hicks uh, orders a dropship to come down and rescue him. But then the dropship is infected by one of the aliens and takes out the pilot and then the dropship crashes and blows up. So Ripley and the remaining marines, their only choice now is to um, barricade themselves up inside one of the colony's uh, control rooms and try and work out what they can do. And they start drawing out maps and they um, block up the doors. They use some sentry guns to repel the aliens. And whilst all this is happening, Ripley works out that Burke 
is actually working with the Wayland Utani Corporation to retrieve specimens and take them back to Earth to make a load of money. And he doesn't really care about them because he wants them to be infected with these specimens in order to, to return back to Earth. So Ripley says, I'm going to bust you, I'm going to expose you. And then to only make matters worse, Bishop then comes in and says that the dropship has wrecked the cooling system and we've only got a certain amount of time before. This whole place blows sky high. So then Bishop agrees to go into a tunnel to try and get to a communication tower to get the Sulco to drop a ship so they can get out of there. And then Ripley and Newt fall asleep in the medical room only to find themselves contained with um, broken canisters with the face huggers which was caused by Burke because he wants to um, prevent Ripley from exposing him. So you've got a scene now where she's trying to fight off the face huggers and then Hudson comes in and he manages to uh, blow them up with the uh, pulse rifle. Ripley tells the rest of the team that uh, Burke's intention was to infect them all and before they can take on Burke all the power goes out and then the aliens are climbing through the ducts of the ceiling so now you've got a shootout between the rest of the marines and the aliens and they're trying to sort of flee for their lives and you get an unfortunate scene here where Hudson gets taken through the floor he's like having one last burst of you know with the pulse rifle saying do you want some do you want some and he gets taken down Gorman and Vasquez find themselves in the uh, tunnel and to give Hicks and Ripley a little bit of time to get away they both say look we're, we're both screwed here and uh, Vasquez and Gorman hold a grenade together and they blow themselves up um, to buy Ripley a little bit of time and then Burke gets his comeuppance because he opens up the door he thinks he's getting away and there's a scene where there's an alien there opening his mouth and taking him out so he gets his comeuppance and after all this with uh, now Ripley, Hicks and Newt as the only survivors the aliens capture Newt and whilst Ripley and Hicks are trying to get away in the lift uh, Hicks gets um, contaminated with the alien blood and injured but they get a little bit of a break when uh, Bishop arrives with the dropship and rescues them but Ripley refuses to leave Newt behind because he prom she promised her that um, she would always protect her and with the little bit of training that she received from Corporal Hicks with the pulse rifle and the flamethrower she sets herself up and it's probably one of the coolest scenes of the film where she gets into the elevator and she's going down in the elevator she's setting herself up she's setting the pulse rifle up she gets some duct tape out she amalgamates the pulse rifle with the flamethrower and it's, it's just turned into this badass she's got all the um grenades and extra ammo and ripley is now heavily armed to deal with the um alien threat and she goes back to the processing station and she finds newt and she's been um cocooned with this um alien secretion she manages to get her out but as she turns around all the aliens are starting to come out and they're a little bit standoffish I think because the queen is in the room and she's found the alien queen it's a great scene it's just like an iconic scene where Ripley turns around and she just sort of tilts her head around and then she just flames them all with a flamethrower and then she starts shooting out with a grenade from the great grenade launcher and then she starts shooting all the aliens and she really goes for it and as a result of this, a whole alien nest is on fire and she's blown it all up and you get these huge explosions and that. Ripley and Newt manage to escape and just by the skin of their teeth they get rescued by Bishop in the um, dropship. And all four of the survivors manage to escape just as the uh, complex blows up in like a thermal nuclear explosion and that's it. So you get into the close of the film now and that's it. You, you think 
when I was first watched this film, I thought, that's it, we've had the final bit with Ripley blowing up all the all the eggs and the explosions. I thought, wow, that's really cool. And you thought, this is a really good film. It can't go any more than this, can it? You couldn't, you, there's going to be no more. Oh, yes, there is. <laughs> so just as Ripley commends Bishop, because she wasn't didn't trust him at the beginning of the film because he's an android and all the problems she had on the Nostrama, she says, thanks, Bishop. And he goes, no, that's fine, you know. And as soon as he says that, he something rips straight through him and he's got all that sort of milky blood coming out from him. And that's right, guys, you've got the alien queen on board the Sulco. Who would have seen that? And with all the quick thinking that Ripley's done throughout the whole film, she looks at that power loader and she pretty much arms herself up just like she did with the pulse rifle and the flamethrower when she went into the nest. That's it. She's got one final fight with this alien queen and it is badass. It's iconic. It's brilliant. And she comes out with that classic line, get away from her, you bitch. And you get the final fight here with echoes from the Nostromo where Bishop, um, not Bishop, <laughs> Ripley manages to blow the alien queen out of a um, airlock um, as she's sort of holding on to the airlock and she's trying to sort of press a button and then the door's closed and then the alien queen has been blasted out into space. And then with a critically damaged uh, Bishop and an injured Hicks, uh, Newt and Ripley go into hyperspace space and they go back to Earth and that is it and that is how the film ends and then you've got the rolling credits. And that is it guys, there you go, that's my bite-sized review of Aliens. If you haven't seen it, go check it out. If you have seen it, I'm sure you're a fan like I am, because everybody I speak to about this film has very, very good things to say about it. So it's just a brilliant action movie. It does everything on the tune that you want it to. And just as a roundup, guys, as I said at the beginning, the, there's no point in this film that I'm bored. It runs at a really good pace. It just does everything you want it to do. Um, so it's just the near-perfect sci-fi action horror film for me. It's just that um, I cannot compliment it enough. So there you go, guys. That is Aliens from 1986. So there you go. Hope you enjoyed the show, guys. Um, I will be back soon. So what am I going to be doing next? So I really do make this show up as I go along, guys. There you go. I'll let you in a little secret. I don't really have any plans. I just sort of think of a film. And I think, yeah, that's a good idea. Let's go and do that. So I was going to do The Terminator. Um, but I've had a little bit of a change of plans. I thought I've just done a James Cameron film. So I might just sort of spread it out a little bit. But then, funny enough, Dan Bone from the podcast on Haunted Hill posted a movie on the page the other day called uh, Toy Soldiers from 1991 with Will Wheaton and Sean Austin. And I thought, actually, let's give that film a shout out. So um, I'm all for the underdog. I do like to shout these films out, uh, the ones that don't get that bigger mention as I think they should do. So I'm going to be doing Toy Soldiers from 1991. So there you go, guys. I am like the movie character. I like to be like the movie character Indiana Jones, where I just make it up as I go. So there's a little secret there from RJ McCready. That's how I roll. And a little bit of admin for the show, guys. I am a proud member of the Legion podcast. Um, so please go and check out all the other good shows there. And you can find Bite Size Cinema on YouTube and iTunes. Um, so if you want to have a look at the show, check it out on there. So that's it, guys. Um, I'll say, hope you enjoyed it. I'll be back soon. Keep it bite-sized. Keep it safe. And I'll see you later.
enjoyed this show, then make sure you check out the other great shows on the Legion Podcast Network, like Cinema PsyOps, Cinema Beef, Devour the Podcast, Duncan and Bo Come Correct, Exploding Heads Horror Movie Podcast, Friday the 13th, Get Slayed, The Hell Ming Power Hour, Hello, This is the Doom Show, Hero Hero Ghost Show, Kill the Cast, Underwater Kaiju from Outer Space, Jerry Hates Action, Legion After Dark, Metal Health, Obsessive Cinema, Discourse, Pick 6 Movies, The Podcast by the Cemetery, The Podcast on Haunted Hill, The Psycho-Semantic Podcast, Rick Radio, House of Wax, Dude Looks Like the 80s, Rabbit and Red Radio, The Shadecast, Short Bus Cinema, Two Drink Minimum Commentaries, The VD Clinic, Who Will Survive Horror Podcast, and Which Versus the Doomsday Clock. With such a widespread of shows, there is guaranteed to be a niche for you to fall in love with. Horror, politics, movies, books, sex, music, commentaries, health, video games, kaiju, action, news, comedy, and opinions that would most likely get you killed in some parts of the world. We are proud to bring you some of the best podcasting in the world. Check us out at www.legionpodcast.com, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, YouTube, and any other dark corner of the internet where podcasts can be found.